The following audio is from The Grove Church. For more information about the church or to listen to previous sermons, visit our website at grove.church. Hey, good morning, everybody. <clears throat> yeah, I said it that way on purpose, so it's getting turned up here. You guys are so quiet. Knock it off. Come on. Hey, uh, a couple of things I want to mention before we jump into Dangerous Prayers Part 3. The first one is I want to say congratulations to Allison Hoot. She was given an award from Getchell High School that I thought was pretty cool for uh, being a great volunteer. And... um, You know, as a church, it's always hard to keep up, to be honest, but as a church, we value the fact that we aren't just gathering and doing this thing, that we gather to be encouraged so we can go out and make a difference. And I think Allison and Ron, their family, have always been a great example of that. And I know, again, there's other people that serve in other capacities all around, but man, it's something that we do value because we believe God values our partnership and our community and shining the light of Christ that we're called to do. So love that. Congratulations, Allison. Um, Also want to mention that last week, if you happen to miss Sunday, which happens here and there, um, if you missed last Sunday and you haven't listened to the message or you watch the podcast if you want to, encourage you to do that. Uh, we kind of did a little bit of house cleaning on kind of where are we at, where are we going, how are we looking to get to where we believe God would have us go. And so listen to that, but also want to give you a quick update that I got immediately after uh, last week's message. I mentioned that the property, the hearing examiner had approved the sale of the property and things were moving forward and that was good news. And we're in this appeal process as if anybody wants to appeal, but we hadn't got wind of anybody. Um, and then we got a 96 page appeal from the Tulalip tribes against the property. So um, something to be praying about um, along those lines. Again, it's kind of puts us in a, in a holding pattern of like, where do we go from here? How are we, you know, what's this look like and what do we do? Um, so definitely pray for that. And I also want to say this, last week with, I think, a lot of big decisions that we're looking to make and kind of going, okay, God, which direction and how does this look? Um, I basically said to the staff and to the board, um, I think it's a season where we need to call a fasting and prayer um, together as, as leaders. And um, I want to invite you as a church body as well to do that. And whether you're a leader in certain capacities here at the Grove and you serve in different areas or you just kind of attend and that's part of kind of your journey, um, I want to encourage you to jump in with us. And when I say fasting and prayer, what we're talking about is taking a season where we step aside specifically from like a meal or a couple of meals here and there and um, spending that time reading scriptures and praying just for specific direction. And right now the fast I called was started last week and we're going to go through this coming uh, next Monday, I guess, or not next Monday, the Monday after next. Um, and so another eight days, we're going to fast and pray. And then we're just going to kind of re-up on where we at and the answers. And we need to continue to do that. And if you want to take and you can go to grovechurch.info or grove.info shoot, grove.church.info slash, I don't know, slash, anyway, um, I should know that. But um, if you go to grove.church, there'll be a link on there where you can just sign. And we're just asking people to sign up for a day at a time. So like three meals. And, and if you would do that, we would appreciate it. Um, and then I want to mention this as well. We talked about uh, giving last week, and I mentioned about where we're at with the expansion and, and what's needed financially. And if you're looking to give specifically towards the expansion, I need to encourage you to make sure it's labeled. If you do online giving or recurring giving, label it. If it's like in here and there's an envelope or whatever, make sure you write on there what that's for because it needs to go towards that specifically. And if it's not labeled, it wouldn't go towards expansion. So just wanted to be clear about that. Um, okay, Dangerous Prayers Part 3. Uh, we're going to jump in. Now, I want to say this today. Um, this is the most challenging of all of the, the messages in this series. We've talked about a couple of weeks ago, uh, Lord, um, search me, search my heart. Psalm 139 talks about that. And then last week we talked about 
um, stretch me, work in my life. And um, today we're going to pray the prayer, break me. And I got to be honest with you, this is again one of those prayers where I feel the trepidation, I feel the fear, even from you going, I don't want to pray that prayer. Why would I want to be broken? And, and even for me driving here today, um, as I was driving here processing the message, I'm like, God, I want to be willing to pray that prayer. Even as I stand up here, that's not for you, it's for us. And so even driving here, I felt the trepidation, and yet I'm still going, God, break me. I want to be what you want, not just what I want. And we're going to talk about why that's important as we get through the message. But here's a simple fact. We don't like things broken. The truth is when something is broken, we try to fix that thing. We give it to somebody else to try to fix. If we can't fix it, we maybe throw the thing away or we put the thing in a drawer or on a shelf or it ends up out in the garage and it collects dust and then spring cleaning comes around and we just get rid of it finally and send it off to the dump or whatever. Um, and kind of that's how it goes. Broken things have a label. Broken people sometimes end up having a label. In a store, the store marks something down. There's a certain sale at stores that they'll do a scratch dent chip sale where you get it on discount because something's wrong with whatever product it is that you're looking to buy. They're described as defective and stores even ship them back to manufacturers to get financial credit when they receive a product that is broken. And so the idea of broken in general tends to be a negative thing. Now I want to tell you in God's economy, broken means something entirely different. And I want you to wrap your head around this as we get into it. We're going to be in Luke chapter seven. If you got a Bible, I encourage you to bring one. Luke chapter seven is where we're going to land. Um, if you got a smartphone, you can look that up and it will be on the screen here behind me. At the same time, I still encourage you, even though it's there, to bring your Bible and get familiar with the pages and where certain books of the Bible are, because that's part of understanding the why behind what is the Bible about. So if you have one, I encourage you to bring it um, on Sundays. Luke chapter seven, <coughs> starting in verse 36. Now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to a Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at a Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited, who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman that she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he canceled the debts of both of them. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. Jesus said, you have judged correctly. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house and you didn't give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Father, today, 
God, as we look at this, my prayer in, the, in, this, in this series, Dangerous Prayers, Lord, break me. My prayer as we look at this is that our hearts would be open to what's really going on here and what Jesus would want to teach us, not just Simon, but want to teach us in this text. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So again, Jesus has been performing miracles and, and he's been teaching crowds and word has spread about him and he's invited to eat at a religious leader's house. A Pharisee is a religious leader and he's eating. He, he ends up showing up. He comes to the guy's house and, and it says he's, he's going to eat there and this woman shows up. But it says this, look at the text in verse 37, a woman in that town, and here's how he's, she's described. How would you like it if this was you, like in the Bible, like that's me, a woman who had lived a sinful life. How awesome would that be? Like, don't put me in there. Don't, don't, don't put my words in there. It says, lived a sinful life, learned that Jesus was eating at a Pharisee's house. She came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. Now, obviously, the picture of her living a sinful life is a label that she sort of gets, but here's more specifically, she's a loose woman. The word would be she's a prostitute. She's a woman who sells herself to gain income in order to live, okay? Which also explains why she has this jar of perfume that's worth, in Mark, it says, is worth a year's wages. We're going, if she's a prostitute, why does she have a thing worth a year's wages? I mean, that's a lot of dough, and here's what it is. In context, this either would have been a family heirloom that she held on to because of its meaning, or more likely she had it because this was her way of making money. She would wear the perfume as she walked the streets, and the aroma that she was wearing would tell people without her having to say anything that she was available to, to have fun with a man so that she could make an income. And that's more likely what's going on here. So she shows up, she's lived a sinful life, and she has this jar of expensive perfume. It says in verse 38, and, and this gets really uncomfortable. Think about this. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped her hair with, wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. I don't know about you, but if you're at a party, we're hanging out, having some fun, and somebody walks in and starts crying on someone's feet and started wiping their hair on their feet, it'd be like, I don't know what's up, but something's weird here, folks. But you know what this is? These are the actions of an utterly broken person. I don't know if you've ever been in a place where your heart has been so broken or you've been so emotionally overwhelmed that, that you'll burst out, say things, do things, and you don't care who's in the room. Has anybody ever been in a place like that besides me? Yeah, I remember one time, I was going to Everett Community College way back when and, and living with a friend of mine and his parents up at the top of Getchell. And I remember driving home from school one day and I went up the hill and went to take a left and there was all these cars backed up. And it's not a place where there's traffic. So I'm like, what in the world is going on? And I kind of get out of my car and I look and there's a car rolled over up ahead. And I'm like, wait a minute, that's my friend's mom's car. And I go booking down the street and there's people that are like trying to stop me. Like, don't get in the way. Who needs you? You're just some teenager who wants to whatever. And I'm like, you don't understand. And I'm literally like pushing people out of the way to get to the accident because I'm afraid it's his mom and who knows what's happened because her car's rolled over. So I'm freaking out. I'm making a kind of a mess and everybody sees that something's going on with this guy and I get up closer only to realize it wasn't her and it wasn't her car. I'm like, oopsie, you know. But it's that thing where it's like, I don't care what people think. I'm getting the person I care about. It doesn't matter my reputation right now. What matters is they're in trouble somehow. 
And, and that's the situation here where she doesn't care that she's broken and, and what are the others are going to think. She's coming to a person that she's heard rumors of, has healed, has performed miracles, has taught with authority. And if he really is the Messiah, if he really can do something, then I want the hope he has because I'm broken. And it's the same thing for you and for me. Do we have the kind of humility? Are we willing to pray the prayer, God, break me, and then that we're willing to come to Jesus no matter what other people think about what it is that we're doing? So here she is, and, and in her brokenness, she comes to Jesus. Now, turn, turn the, the, the focus here in verse 39 says this. When the Pharisee who had invited him in saw this, he said to himself, now look at this, he's saying it kind of under his breath. If this guy knew, you know, if this guy were really a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman that she is, that she's a sinner. So you have this woman who's utterly broken, and then you have Simon, this religious leader, this Pharisee, who all of a sudden he gets the label. He's the judger. He's the labeler. We look at a guy like Simon and go, how does a guy get like that? But what it is, is, is again, this is in the Bible, I believe in part, to point to you at times and to point to me at times because it's real easy in the world that we live and to go, you know what? I'm tired of my lazy niece freeloading off of my brother. I mean, she's 24 already. Shouldn't she be out of the house? At the same time, my brother's not so incredible either. I mean, he's burned through a couple of marriages and now he's got this girl he's leading right down the same train. And, you know, I feel sorry for her. But you know what? She's not exactly a picnic either. She drives me nuts. They're not even married yet and, and, and she's already dictating which holidays that she gets to have with her family. They're not even hitched. What kind of mess is this? Now, no, that's not my family, but you know what? This is the kind of attitude that you and I pick up without even knowing it, without even realizing that the warning Jesus is giving Simon, Jesus is also giving to you and to me. It's, it's the world that we live in that we look around and go, oh, that terrible drug addict. Oh, that, that, that irresponsible homeless person. Oh, goodness, my, my clueless husband or wife or whatever. That, that, that horrible politician, that, that mean neighbor, that, that rough history teacher. I said math teacher in first service and got rebuked. So history teacher. My no good boss, that ignorant pastor. That's a good one. I've been called that before and I am, so that's fine. But you know what else I've had happen to me in the nine and a half years of, of doing what I do? I've had people show up at church before and i talking with them or whatever. And every now and then I've had somebody look over their shoulder as we're talking to the lobby or whatever and go, oh, they go here? Not as a compliment. Oh, pastor, do you know who they are? Do you know what they've done? Do you know the reputation they have? Do you know the behavior they've taken part in? Do you know who they are in this community and it's not a good thing? And I look at that and go, well, wait a second. We can all look over our shoulder at different people that we know and go, do we know who they are? And yet I think what better place for somebody who isn't perfect to be than be here? Because this place is not a place for perfect people. I don't stand up here because I'm a perfect person and you don't show up here because we're perfect. We show up here because Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call those who are righteous, but sinners to repentance and that's all of us. Can I hear an amen? And so honestly... It's almost, it's almost comical when people go, oh, they go here? It's like, absolutely, they need Jesus just like you do. <laughs> Jesus answered him after, again, Simon had muttered under his breath, does he know who that is? Jesus answered, Simon, I have something to tell you. 
Here's what I love. In these moments where we we read this text without getting ahead for a moment here, there's moments in our lives where we feel like Jesus would wanna do something or we're in prayer, we're going, God, would you do this or whatever? And and if if at any point we get this impression that God wants to do something, it's oftentimes, God, you're gonna give me the balm to heal that situate disease. God, you're gonna provide the the car, the the mattress full of money I need. You're gonna bless me somehow, God. You're gonna, even if it's just a loaf of bread, I mean, you did bread a whole lot in the Bible. Could you do bread for me? And I don't like pumpernickel, but maybe a little buttermilk white would be great. Jesus says to all of us, hey, I have something to tell you. And this is where the lesson comes in. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. A denarii is a day's wages. So 500 days wages as opposed to 50 days wages. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, as we would, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. And oftentimes, Jesus, instead of simply giving us a quote-unquote blessing, he wants to teach us something deeper. See, the prayer break me is not simply a prayer that we feel some trepidation about, but the prayer break me is meant to, we go, why break me? Why is that such a, do I have to pray God break me? And I believe the importance of a prayer like God break me is that it deepens our faith to the degree that we all need our faith to be deepened. If we love Jesus and things are good when things, if we love Jesus and are excited about him when things are good, but all of a sudden we back away and question where he's at when things aren't so good, it's probably the challenge of our faith hasn't become deepened yet. So when we talk about a prayer like break me, it's easy to stand up here and go over a bunch of notes and say a bunch of things. It's a whole nother deal for you and I to live through, God, I'm being broken. But I happen to be a huge believer that what's happening when we navigate those seasons of of, of brokenness and we walk through it with Jesus is we're becoming deeper in our faith. So it it says that, he, he tells Simon this story, and then it says, then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? Which obviously he did. He says, I came into your house, Simon, and you didn't give me any water for my feet. Everything he's about to mention would have been customary for a guest, any guest. They walk around in Birkenstocks back in the day, not that brand, but they walk around in sandals back in the day, and, and they, sorry, anyway, but they, they, go into a house and their feet are dirty as they would be. There's dirt trails all over the place and roads that are dusty. And so they enter a home and, and water would have been customary as well as probably, especially in a religious leader's house, somebody that would have been there to wash their feet. And Jesus didn't get that treatment. He says, I, I came into your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss. Again, customary, even today in certain cultures to lean in on one side and the other. Would have been customary. You didn't give me a kiss. This from the time I entered, she hasn't stopped kissing my feet. You didn't put oil on my head, which again, customary, freshen up after being out in the heat. She has poured perfume on my feet. Jesus says to Simon, you're not seeing things all he cares about. Does he know who this is? If he were really a prophet, he's not seeing things correctly. Is it possible? That Jesus is trying to tell you and me there's times that you're not seeing things correctly. 
And part of the answer is the willingness to pray, God, I admit maybe I'm not seeing things correctly. If it takes breaking me, then Lord, would you do that? And I don't say that lightly. Let me ask you this question. How many of you believe it's possible that you have blind spots in your life? Here's what I love. By definition, we all have blind spots because that's what they are. We don't know they're there. We all have blind spots. We've done things wrong, but we don't see what, what it is. Or, or, or maybe you see things in your life, but you just kind of let them be there. You know there are certain things that, that the, Bible, the Bible says that's sin. The Bible says that I, if I don't forget, that's not okay, that's sin. The Bible says I, I you know, take some things from work, no big deal, whatever, it's sin. Got a relationship you shouldn't be in, and you're making excuses for why it's okay, not okay, it's sin. There's all kinds of different ways that, that, that maybe we refuse to, to let God do something we're holding back. And to me, the prayer break me says, God, even as hard as it will be to let that go, Father, everything, Lord, I want to say, break me. See, sin is the cancer of the soul. And the truth is, most of us are well aware cancer isn't simple and pain-free to remove. But here's, here's the problem. The longer it goes on in the body, the more likely it'll be more impossible to remove. And it's not that God can't do it, but our willingness becomes more and more difficult. Sin is the cancer of the soul. God wants to break Simon. And the truth is, God wants to break us. But like I said earlier, God looks at brokenness differently. Let me just put it this way, okay? When we look at, let me just give you real quick, the definition of broken is this. Having been fractured or damaged and no longer in one piece, smashed, shattered, fragmented, splintered, crushed. He's like, is he smiling when he's saying that? I was, I admit it. How many of you would say at certain points or seasons in your life, one of those words has described you? Just raise your hands, come on. Yeah, most of us in this room, we've been broken, but look at what Jesus is about to do for this woman who is broken. He, he, he turns to Simon after he tells all this stuff, about, you didn't do this or this or this, and he says, therefore, I tell you, Simon, her sins, though they are many, what a great way to put that, like pile it up, Lord. Her sins, though they are many, have been forgiven as her great love has shown, but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. She gets to leave with her head held high and her heart set free. She's clean. And that's what Jesus wants to do in your life and my life, that we're willing to say, God, break me. And he grabs a hold of those dark things in our heart and he pulls them out and we go, this hurts God. But it's ultimately our ability to walk away free from those things God doesn't want in our lives. God, break me. The story of David and Bathsheba is, is a, an example. And just very briefly, David, he's, all his guys are out to war and he's at home on the roof of the palace and he sees some gal and he's like, hey, I'd really like to hang out with her. And they hang out and she gets pregnant. So you know how they were hanging out. Anyway, she gets pregnant. All of a sudden, David's like, oh, this isn't good. So he's like, hey, have the, have the husband come back from war and, and I'll, you know, I'll have him kind of hang out with her and he'll just assume it's his. 
So he does that, and, and the guy is more noble than David, and he refuses to go home and do anything. He's like, my guys are at war. I would never do that. And David's like, oh, he's better than I am. Shoot, you know? And so he's like, all right, I'll get him drunk the next night. So he gets him drunk, thinking if he's drunk, he'll go home, and he won't even know what's up, and he'll be fine. And the guy still won't go back home. So David goes, all right, go back to war. Go out. Thanks for coming. He'll go back to war. And then he tells one of his generals, put him on the front lines, and let's get him killed. And that's exactly what happens. And Bathsheba gets word that your husband's been killed. I'm so sorry. And David's like, all right, dear Bathsheba, why don't you come live with me now? That's literally the, the gist of the whole story. And David covers up and moves on. And all of a sudden, one day there's a knock on his door. Oh, oh hey, David, Nathan the prophet here. How you doing? Hey, I'm doing great, man. How are you? Good, good, good. Hey, I got a story I want to tell you. There's a guy and he's got all these sheep and cattle and all this stuff and a bunch of his buddies are coming to town, a big party they're going to have and, and, and he's got all this stuff but there's one guy that has one little ewe lamb and, and, and instead of taking what he has, he goes, you know, why don't you take that guy's ewe lamb and this ewe lamb is like a pet to him. Why don't you take that little ewe lamb and, and sacrifice it and, and, and we'll eat that and that's what we're going to have for the party. But, but you got all these ewe lamb and just take that one. So what should be done to that man? David gets mad. He should be killed. Nathan goes, you're that man. You've had all this stuff, and God has blessed you with all the kingdom, and you're the real, all this great stuff. And yet here you are, and Uriah the Hittite had one thing, a great woman, and you went and stole her away. How dare you? And that's where Psalm 51 comes from. If you're taking notes, write that down. Psalm 51, and a couple of the verses go like this. David, in his finally, instead of covering up, instead of trying to hide, David, in his brokenness, says, Create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me, a spirit after you, not my sin anymore. And he breaks, he says, don't cast me away, Lord, from your presence. Verse 17, he goes on in that, um, in that psalm to say, my sacrifice, O oh God, is a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart, God, you will not despise. Why do I bring that up? Because if everyone in here could understand the amount of sin that we've committed and that we continue to get fall prey to all the time, we would have no room to talk and we would realize that we've been forgiven a lot more than 500 denarii. And that our hearts would burst with gratitude and humility would develop in us in a way that we can go, God, I trust you that when I pray, Lord, break me, it's not a bad thing because God wants to do a good work. Paul says our response to all God has done in our brokenness is this. Offer our bodies as living, what's the word? Sacrifices. Ouch. He goes on in 2 Corinthians 1. Taking notes, that was Romans 12, 1. 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 and 4 to say this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in our troubles so that we may comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. See, what happens in our brokenness is that we come to the end of ourselves and we're willing to say, God, in my brokenness, I hear, here's all of what I have, and we allow God to take the pieces he wants to put things back together the way he wants and to leave out the pieces he doesn't want so he can have his way in our lives. See, it's a picture of who Christ is. It's a picture that, that, that Jesus suffered and, and, and was broken so that we could be made whole. 
And Paul reminds us that when we're broken, it gives us a door to help others in their brokenness. Because when we're broken, we look at things a lot differently than when we've never experienced brokenness. Is anybody with me on that? There's a certain empathy. There's a certain compassion. There's a certain ability to connect with other people. And there's no longer the pressure to sit with somebody and feel like you got to give the right speech and say all the right words. And you realize in people's brokenness, they don't need the platitudes. It's going to get better. You're going to be okay. There's better days ahead. But instead, sometimes just to sit there and be silent and let them know, I'm just here. See, God looks at brokenness very differently than we do. Where you and I might go label broken, grieving, hurt. God looks at it and sees something beautiful going on. And I know that, again, it sounds so cliche to say that, that I hate to even just put it that way. But, but in God's economy, brokenness is very different. And it's not damaged, but it's better. I was sitting down with a couple of the other, we went to a, a, there was a rehearsal dinner for a wedding and Heather and I were there and then we went out to dinner afterwards with everybody and we were sitting with Jason and, and Jody. They go to the church, we'd get to know them a little more the last few months, the last bunch of months. It's been really fun and we were sitting across from the table from each other and again, just asking about their story and who they are and what they're about and, and um, Jason's got crazy stories about medic work and stuff like that. But the day 9-11 happened, he was working down in Seattle as a, as a medic. And um, he was the only one in his station that was called to go to New York. And he said, within 24 hours from the moment it happened, I was on the ground. And he said, I spent seven months there. And he said, it was like 12-hour days. And because he's a little short, he said, because I was small, I was the one digging into the rubble, into tunnels and crazy stuff. And he was telling me, all that, but you know what he said? And I didn't ask this about, hey, I got some notes. Tell me about this. I had no idea he was going to say this. He just said it. He goes, doing all that. But you know what I saw? He said, I saw New York actually become a better place. New Yorkers are known for being tough. New Yorkers are known for having sort of this veneer and things together. And in the midst of something utterly broken, like 9-11, not to make light of it at all, please hear me. But he said, in the midst of something so broken, there was so much generosity. There was so much grace. He said, people were lining up all over the place. What can we do? Anything. I've got money. I've got food. I've got a, play, I've got a hotel. All the, he said, people were coming in droves going, what can we do? And again, nobody ever would want something like a 9-11 to happen ever again. Don't misunderstand me. But in the midst of something utterly broken, God can make something beautiful out of it. And that's what we trust him to do in our brokenness. Heather and I met right about here in this auditorium 26 years ago. And um, <clears throat> I was attracted to her and we lived happily ever after. Fast forward. Anyway, um, <laughs> But, but one of, you know, as I got to know Heather and we were hanging out and spending time together, um, I noticed that she had a, has a bump on her arm, a, like a, a scar like this. And, and um, at one point I asked her, I said, what, what, what is that? And she told me, she goes, you know, years ago, my family was in a really, really, really bad car accident and our car flipped end over end. And he's, my, you know, my brother was ejected out of the vehicle, ended up on the medium. It was really, really bad. And um, she didn't have major injuries, but one of them was that she had a, a gash right here that they obviously fixed and, and all that stuff, but there's still a bump that's a scar. You go, well, maybe they didn't stitch it up right. It's not very clean, whatever. But um, see, for me now, 19, almost 19 years of marriage later and, and you know, four kids, and I love my wife like crazy, that scar means something amazing. Because in, in a type of accident where you would expect that, that people would not have survived, not only did she survive, but that was almost the entirety of, of what she experienced as far as injury. And every time I see that or I feel it on her arm, it means something amazing to me that she got to live and I got to meet her and I got to marry her and we got to have four kids together and I love her like crazy. You see what God can do with something that can be really tough? 
I don't want to make light of it. And I've walked through seasons that are horrid seasons in my life. At the same time, as I said a bit earlier, there's something about those seasons that grow us into deeper people. And God wants our faith to become deep, not just be surfacey. And so the question for all of us is, are we willing, even in our trepidation, to pray that prayer, God, break me? It's going to hurt. It's not easy. It's not fun. But Lord, I really want to become all you want, not just part of what you want, all you want in my life. Father, today, Lord, for all of us, this kind of prayer, I think, probably should create in us, I don't want it, want it, but I want it in the sense that, God, I really do want what you want. And I believe in our lives, whether it's blind spots or we excuse things or, or whatever it might be, that, God, there are things that we've got to be willing to say, Lord, if that means I'm broken, I want to be what you want. I want to experience, what, I want to do what you want. And it's not fun. It's not easy. And, and most of us, most days of the week, wouldn't pray this prayer. But I pray that as, as we continue to grow as followers of Christ, as we look back on our lives, that we're willing. You know what? I'm willing to pray you know, I will pray it. You know, I am praying it. And for some today that are in brokenness, that life is difficult and heavy and challenging. And right now it just feels like a lot of darkness. That as the evening wears on, the sun goes down, that darkness doesn't feel like it's outside, but it's inside of us. Father, my prayer is that they would see through this season. And and yes, God, absolutely deliver, absolutely take people out of it. But my prayer probably more than that today is see people through it that, God, they can grow into what you desire, that they can allow you to take the broken pieces of our lives and go, okay, God, you build what you want, how you want, when you want. Jesus, help us to be willing to pray that prayer. Lord, break me. It's in your name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Podcast. If you want to keep up to date with us, like us on Facebook or sign up for our e-newsletter at grove.church.